Thank you for joining us at MindSpeak, the show that delves into global issues with a local perspective. This is a voice, not an echo. If you can't speak your mind, you can't be human. Hi, folks. This is Mark Anthony Rossi, your host, and welcome to MindSpeak. This is going to be episode 215. Thank you very much for joining me, uh, and I really appreciate the email I already got about uh, leaving Afghanistan, which was our, our first installment in, in, the, in the new type of show that we have here, something that's going to explore more of the global arts and, and, and global affairs. Now, I would have normally put the topic of the Book of Dune and with some of the uh, more literary shows I do with Strength to Be Human. But in this particular case, I'm going to leave it into MindSpeak because it goes farther than just a book. We're going to be talking about uh, the comics, we're talking about the various movie and cable incarnations. You're going to talk about some of the Facebook stuff that, that we put together, some of the comments I hear from the internet, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it really goes beyond just simply a, a book. So I, I think it really fits more in the, in the MindSpeak uh, a setting of, of just going a little bit bigger and a little bit wider, okay? Now, the title of the show is Thoughts on All Things Dune. Now, I know it might sound really encompassing to everyone that listens to the show, but uh, you haven't listened to the other shows where I've done the, uh, these things for authors and in some in some books as well. Um, thoughts exactly mean that. That means that it, it can't cover everything in an hour, an hour and ten minutes uh, of all the the universe of Dune. It simply can't, and especially since Dune has expanded over the last 20-something years with the son and his partner got together and they wanted to do a bunch of prequels and tell you something about when they had the machine age and, and artificial intelligence taken over and they had to stop all that, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes there's even two camps, so to speak. You got the people that, that love all the Dune and you got the other people that only like the the prequel stuff and don't like the, the, the regular original Dune stuff. And you just got the original Dune people and they, they hate the other stuff. And that's one of the reasons why um, uh, Mike and I got together and, and started putting together um, a Facebook group, a, a new discussion group called The Weirding Way. And we did that mainly because it was important to find a place where people can, can discuss and, and people can and even disagree, but do it in, in, in a fair and a decent manner, like adults, not like all the silly stuff that you see a, a lot of these groups become. It becomes political nonsense or name-calling, or it even gets down to bigoted comments. And none of that stuff's necessary. It's, it's silly. And also, it's important in both the reading way and even on the show that we'll, we'll cover as many of those aspects as we can. I mean, I'll, I have no problem telling you what I favor and what I don't favor, but it doesn't really taint how I'm going to treat it things because it still needs to be treated with respect. There's a lot of people who love those, um, I guess you could say, prequels, and there's nothing wrong with the prequels. In fact, their concepts are very valid. They're just not the same as the other books, and that's also a fair comment to say. And that's how sometimes people get into these arguments because guess what? They don't normally start off being mean and negative and nasty. 
They're usually just stating what they feel is obvious to them. And that's fine because it's obvious to me. I, I just don't quote or tell you about the prequels. And I will as we go on through the show about what I like and what I don't like about them. I've read them. So it's not about, uh, you know, reading some crib notes someplace or, yeah, my uh, my fourth friend on my uncle's side told me that uh, the machine war was awesome. You know, it's not like that at all. It's, it's I read them all. I own them all. So. I have no problem having an opinion on it because I can easily tell you what I feel about them versus the, the original books and where they could be useful and where they cannot be. They do have a place in the Dune Verniverse, not just because they have the name Dune on it, which is sometimes the criticism you get people, oh, it's just a brand thing. No, it's it's not that. It, it's more than that. It, it really does delve into what happened in the past and based on his journal, his notes, some of the conversations I believe they've had. So it's it's just not someone trying to co-opt the, the dad to make money. There's something real there. And we're, we're going to talk about that. Okay. And, and hopefully it'll help illuminate people a little bit more on that. I'm not interested, believe it or not, in, tr in trying to create believers out of each group. You want to still stay in your separate camps? That's fine. Just don't don't throw spitballs and, and bad names. That's all I say. Stay in your separate camps. It doesn't bother me one bit. You know, but if you see some of the facts and you learn some of the things, you you might have a slightly different opinion. Or you maybe you might lessen some of your hardness and, and say, okay. You know, so and that's fine if you do. If you don't, it's it's not a big deal. All right. Now I've always found it funny because I was born in nineteen sixty five. And um, this is when the book came out, all right? So I didn't read it until I was 10 in 1975. And I remember my mother, because <laughs> she was very Italian and very direct. She didn't mess around with words at all. Um, she, my father had said, hey, you know, Dune is not a little bit too much to him, this, that, whatever. And, you know, and, and my mother just came out and jumped on him and said, let me get this straight here. We got no problem with people where the, um, the, uh, the mother is... Uh, Thinking about having incest with the with the uncle and getting married and, and possibly responsible for the death of the father and talking to ghosts. That's okay. That's Hamlet, by the way. Uh, but we can't talk about, um, you know, uh, space worms and spice and, you know, uh, wars on other planets. That's that's weird. So, she, you know, that's what the point she made. And it's ironic, though. Know? I'm not trying to make anything controversial over here, but if you speak things strictly in the literary terms and you put together the Bible, okay, along with Shakespeare, okay, and you, you hold this to some kind of incredible standard, not just in writing, but just in terms of history and, and class and all that stuff, you're going to find yourself gravely mistaken because uh, both Shakespeare and the Bible they have some of the worst things on the planet written down there. I mean, if you think about it, just go through just go through Shakespeare alone. All right? We got incest and, and murder and assassination. Okay, we got ghosts and specters. You got you got tints of, of anti-Semitism and anti-Catholicism. And you go into the Bible and you, you got Noah being raped by his daughters. I, I could go on and on and on on some of the incredible abuses inside the Bible. And I'm not even a person that's some kind of atheist. I'm not even against the Bible. I'm, I'm actually a, a person of faith. But guess what? It doesn't remove the fact of what I read. I'm like, wow. So, you know, my mother always made that point. She goes, look at those books. I don't know anything could be any rougher than the Bible and, and Shakespeare. And, and to this day, I, I mean, she makes a point. 
I mean, you could read those uh, Shades of Grey books all you want, but it's soft porn in the end. It's nothing that even comes close to some of the things you would read in the Bible. It's, it's incredible to even say that. So let's keep that and keep Dune in perspective for that. Now, Dune was one of the uh, the epics I read when I was younger. It was of the three epics that my parents really got me involved in. The first one being uh, The Chronicles of Narnia uh, from C.S. Lewis. Now, that's a book that's written in many levels. So you can actually take it as an adult or you could read it as a child because of the man's genius writing. It really is. But it's also a book that... If you don't want to look at the uh, Christian allusions to it and the allegory to it, and you don't have to, you could just read it as a fun fa fantasy story, seven chapters into it. Well, seven books, rather. So I, I call them chapters each book, and in a way, it's a giant chapter in the, in the series. But there's something right there that doesn't really have a lot of gray area. It, it's a book that, regardless of how multi-level he wrote it, either for adults or for, for children, it can be pretty crack and white. You, you kind of know who's bad and who's good. You kind of understand some of the rules. There's not a whole lot of stuff in between. It, it, it's very, uh, I guess you could say, polarizing in that fashion. And that's what it is. Okay? And if you think about the next series, which was Tolkien's Lord of the Rings series, um, I don't want to add The Hobbit to it. I'll just stick with the three books for now. Even though I read The Hobbit, it really is... A separate story. I can see how it connects because it does, but it's also a standalone book in the sense that if you read The Hobbit and you never read the rest of the Three of the Rings, the three of Lord of the Rings books, you're not missing anything and it's not a big deal. You can just leave it at that. And if you just wind up hitting all three books for the Lord of the Rings and you never ever read The Hobbit, you're not missing anything either. Who cares about the uncle's past life and his adventures? Great. I mean, I enjoyed it. I loved it. That's all good. I, I read all four of them, but still. They, they, they kind of stand alone that way. And they were done that way on purpose because Tolkien didn't expect the book was going to do well. And he really wasn't having a plan for The Lord of the Rings until his publisher pushed him into thinking about doing that because The Hobbit did well for him. It did so well that he was making more from The Hobbit than he was making from his professor's salary. Okay? But again, there really isn't much gray area in Lord of the Rings. There simply isn't. It's, it's, for the most part, still a very black and white story. I mean, you could say all you want about Boromir. You know, he went from being a, a good guy to a desperate guy to this and that, whatever. But, you know, in, in the end, is that really gray? Or is that just simply the power of the ring? Because it got everybody. It even got, you know, Bilbo in the end. You know, it, it did everybody. I mean, it, the movie was pretty, uh, the series, the movie series was pretty accurate to the books. Not everything. There was more women characters and doing more stuff as as women in the movies than they were in the books. Other than that, though, but even when they did that, it still was faithful to the story and, and, and faithful, I think, to the spirit of what, what was trying to be done. But there really, really isn't much gray area there. I mean, people are good, people are bad. Some people get pulled a little bit. You know, if you remember the Elf Queen in, in the movie, that was a good example of being pulled, but then pulled back and strong enough. You know, Gandalf was the same way, where he kind of pulled for a moment and pulled back. That's about it. There's still good characters, and there's still bad people that don't really, don't really care. They've given in, and this is what they want to do. So that's the second in, in, the, in the, the trilogy type series. Uh, to me, the Dune was the, the next one. And Dune 
is radically different than any of those other books. Okay, Dune really does have an unusual setup. I would say, and I don't even have to waste too much time listening to the interviews from, from uh, Frank Herbert or what other people have written. And there's been even a couple of uh, some academic studies on it. And you could, you know, take it with a grain of salt or not. But I've always felt, as a writer, I've always felt that, that Herbert was putting together a realistic series because he saw a different future for humanity Far, far different than Gene Roddenberry. And the only reason I bring Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek is to kind of give you the, the opposite comparison. Because there really wasn't any Star Trek books. It was just him jotting down the screenplay and just being a huckster and a salesman to get that thing sold out there and try to get the show done. The, the books came much, much, much later by other people. Okay, But Roddenberry's entire vision was... Um, we screwed up so much on Earth that we finally got ourselves together, you know, after, I don't know, nuking us ourselves nearly to death and then using eugenics to try to make super creatures and then finally saying that that was stupid. And now let's try to get together as a united planet and then go explore the galaxy and find other people. And, and that was what, it, what, it, what he was talking about. It was a hope for the future that we can settle what we need to settle here before we bring our ugliness and our hatred and our silliness into space. It's something I write about a lot because I, like Herbert, feel that's more likely going to be the case. We're not going to be sending the best and the brightest out there in space. I know you think they have an astronomical degree and a PhD, and that's going to be great, but really, what have we done about the human condition? Not a whole lot still. So why would you think the astronauts are going to be any more perfect than, than anybody else? And why do we think that uh, they're going to be the best foot forward going out there if we start a colony someplace or if we even meet other aliens, if we even believe that the aliens are, are really out there? And I like to think they're out there and they're probably afraid of us. I know I'd be afraid of us because if we can't even get along with the with the brown guy down the block, what the hell do you think we're going to do with the green guy that comes back with actual superior technology? Uh, we're going to probably kill him after we steal everything he has. I don't think they're stupid. I think they know that. And that's what I think Herbert had tried to do in Doom. He's trying to set a future where mankind now actually goes into space and does travel. But guess what? We don't bring the best with us. We haven't solved the problems of humanity. You still got an underclass. You, you, you got a servant class in many ways, like Gurney and and uh, Duncan. I laughed about that sometimes on the internet, and I don't, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Duncan is one of my favorite, if not my favorite characters. But in many ways, the only people in Dune that are ever really honest and honorable and ethical are, are the servants, the people that put their entire lives for these rich families, the Gurneys and the Hollicks. You know, they said the Duncan say they're the people because everybody else is deeply flawed. If you think about it, Leto is <laughs> the Benny Jesuit is all they're doing is trying to manipulate the, the universe from behind the scenes because women, for the most part, don't really have a lot of power up front. They have it more in the back. So they use the religion and they use the various techniques to try to create something one day that they believe that they can control and therefore control everything. Because they don't think they're ever going to be able to get any kind of real power. 
You know, you got a, you got a, uh, you got an empire with an emperor that's that's pretty much corrupt. It's literally purposely setting houses against houses so this way they can be distracted and no one tries to take his job as an emperor. That's really all he cares about. That's really all he cares about. He never really thinks any more deeper than, oh my God, I might be putting spice production at risk. Oh my God, you know the uh, the guilds might want to beat the hell out of me for doing this. Oh my God, uh, you know this is gonna uh, ruin me in a different fashion. Because you know he doesn't really believe in the religion of the Bene Gesserit or anything else for that matter. He's just a straight power hungry politician. We've seen them before. We'll see them again. And this is, I think, what Herbert has done is he simply put a very human, present minded culture out there. I mean, we don't really meet aliens in Doom. And, and, and quite frankly, in case you notice, even the technology has been downscaled. We learned from the prequels, it's been downscaled because we were over relying on it. And the next thing you know, the robots are like, you know, like the Terminators. Uh, let's get rid of these people. They're stupid. <laughs> we should take over. Didn't work out too well. So in case you notice that even the technology in Dune doesn't seem like it's super technology. You know? It really isn't. Big spaceship. Okay, sure. We can big, build a big spaceship. All right? Bunch of bunch of helicopters. Call it something different. They land on and then a couple of Dune buggies go over there and they're doing some mining extraction of stuff. Well, we do that all day long. We do that on the ocean floor. We do that in the mountains. We do that in the deserts. We do that all the time. So, again, nothing all that sophisticated, okay? All right, sure. It's kind of weird. Uh, people are hooked on some drug that allows them to space uh, fold and, and, and go from one point to the other, uh, which is actually uh, quite similar to the theory of the Mobius strip. If you've ever learned about that or Google that, it's when you can take two points together and now you can actually go someplace without moving. Ain't literally cross galaxies. It's the belief that, and, and many people believe this in a scientific way, that if there are aliens out there, I mean now, I'm not, I mean in Dune, and they have spaceships, even their technology couldn't cross light years, that they would have to figure out ways to learn uh, to use uh, the theories of Mobius and use, the, use a small like wormholes in space in order to be able to make in connections so that they can fly to one galaxy or another really quickly. Or would I have to spend, uh, I don't know, 10,000 years in space, which I don't think any any living creature, no matter what base of they are, whether they're copper or iron base or carbon or whatever, can really survive. And I don't care. This just can't really be done. They have to have some kind of, uh, uh, I, I believe, mathematical or cosmic shortcut to get from one place to the other. This was Dune's idea, and this was Herbert's idea, was to have that. And you needed the drug in order to be able to, to survive this process. And then in case you've noticed that uh, over who knows how long, I don't know, possibly millennium, that those which used to be people mutated into like big whale-looking glob things that they need these spaceships just to hold their big fat bodies because... They really can't be hanging around on Earth or any other planet anymore. They got to be in space, and that's where they live, and that's where they stay. And as you as you can tell, uh, they have created a monopoly. So, Dune and Herbert is a great deal about the many things that we face on Earth, and just put it out there in space. Okay, the uh, the problem with 
how religion can be useful and practical and how it can also be controlling and almost dictatorial. Of course, the same thing when you're dealing with royals and you're dealing with families that are based on that, you know, um, and they're, they're ruling over people. I mean, we're, we're shown in the book and we're shown in the movie, you know, that that, that Duke, uh, well, excuse me, uh, Leto, he is running over a planet, a kind of an ocean planet, and, and he's, uh, I guess, what they would call the benevolent monarch or the benevolent dictator. That's pretty much what he is. Somebody that's decent towards the people. But, you know, if you look any closer to any of this sort of stuff in, in our own human history, you know, in the end, uh, why are you in charge? Because you're a bloodline from 400, 700 years ago? Really? What, what does that really mean for anything? And who said you could be in charge? Why do we think we have democracies in the first place? And you think about it, what are the people on 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 Arrakis there doing? Yeah, we call them the Fremen. Think short, probably for free man. And, and really, they're they're simply the uh, the kernels of people wanting to have free will and not want to be dominated by all these different forces, and want to maybe possibly form some kind of a democratic uh, government or, or some kind of a. a free republic one day. I mean, right now they're in, like, various tribes, but, you know, it don't take long before tribes that can get together and, you know, possibly run a planet. I mean, in many ways, they're the genesis for that. So he's kind of showing us that, too, and how they have to fight. And in many ways, I, I know it might seem that, you know, um, the Atreides are coming down, and they're wonderful people and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, just think about it. no different than Afghanistan or anywhere else. You can have your best intentions. You could be dissing people. But in the end, you're pretty much still just invaders. You're taking all the stuff in there. You're using the people as servants for your, for your whole kingdom that you created. Okay? I mean, we have some, uh, we have some exceptions in the story. <laughs> a kid that might be a superhuman being, savior of the universe. Uh, that kind of puts a little spin on it, sure. And, and of course, uh, you know, just the uh, the negative comparison with the, with, with the Harkonnens, who, who are pretty much, you know, bloodthirsty and, and like being used by the emperor because it's a good way to get back to the people who they hate. You know, and, and of course, uh, the Harkonnen, uh, the Baron, they, they, they make them the possibly to be one of the worst kind of, you know, human creatures you can have, you know. Somebody that has no mercy, that has no decency, that... That, that's a complete sexual uh, uh, deviant. And, and I mean that in, in every way you could mean that because this is a person that is literally raping children. So, I mean, that's that's a definitely a, a deviant. So they, they made him to be like the worst kind of person, you know, versus, uh, you know, the Duke, who's uh, who's somebody that uh, that uh, appears to be uh, decent and caring and, and has more thought in what he's trying to do. Does it make everybody... In this thing, uh, evil or, or angels? Uh, not really. We learn more from the backstory on the prequels on how, in many instances, those houses were turned upside down and operated in a different fashion. So again, you don't really have many, many angels <laughs> in this story or in this book. We simply don't. Now, I, like everyone else, was excited and fascinated to go to the first incarnation of, of uh, Dune, which was the 1984 movie Dune. 
uh, introducing Kyle McLaughlin. That was the first time he did a, a starring role in anything. And, of course, a, a whole host of wonderful actors, Patrick Stewart and, you know, um, uh, I, I think uh, Freddie, uh, Freddie Jackson was in that. And and, and also, um, uh, what's, her, what's her name? Um, uh, I'll remember her in the moment, of course. Uh, Jurgen Prochnow, who I love, great, great actor. Um, uh, this uh, this a, a wonderful, wonderful cast. So Richard Jordan, one of my favorite actors, he played Duncan. Which they gave him more time in that movie. It's one of the one of the cutbacks on it that that, that had him. We'll talk about that. But overall, it was a very solid cast. So the um, the director and the producers on the movie were really trying their very best to get some great great actors in there. Uh, um, I know we had. Um, uh, the Swedish actor, he was in that. Uh, Maximilian, uh, he was in that. Yeah, yeah. Maximilian, Michel was in that. Yeah, and uh, a great job uh, as the, uh, you know, the uh, the inspector from the from the uh, for the empire of of all the uh, the spice mining and everything. Somebody was down there so long that he started getting the the blue eyes. They did the blue eyes in the movie too. That's always been a controversy more now than ever before. Uh, if you remember. And we'll talk about it a little bit further, but the cable series, which was the next one after this, I mean, the, the eyes were even more blue than, than in 1944 Dune. It was like, I don't even like to look at these people. They're so blue. Come on. So they, they might want to like cut back on some of that blue thing. But I don't know. Maybe it helped them because they didn't seem to have much money for anything else in that budget. Some of the special effects were absolutely horrible. I think I could draw my own worm better than that than, than, than Dune, uh, the network series. <laughs> but... What made Dune, the movie, in 1984 very special is, first, it was the only thing that really came out at that time, you know, trying to do something. And remember, it came out in 84, and this book came out in 1965. So, you know, we're talking about many years later. And, of course, thankfully, uh, Herbert was still alive, and he was happy to have someone finally do this. So he was happy with that product. Now, there's been a lot of a lot of talk and a lot of, Controversy with David Lynch. You got a lot of people out there who love Dune that hate David Lynch. They think somehow he butchered it. They think somehow he didn't have an understanding of it. They think somehow, you know, he changed it. Um, I don't really believe any of that is the case. I'm not going to let him off from responsibility. Don't get me wrong. But I don't really think this guy was sitting around saying, let me screw up Dune. He spent three years on it. He definitely loved the project. He loved the book. Remember, Unlike the movie that's coming out in October, or even the the network TV shows, the cable versions of Dune and Children of Dune, he was the only director that actually wrote the screenplay. So he had a lot invested into trying to make that story come to light and with his vision and etc. And his and, and I don't always take Hollywood seriously because they spend a lot of time trying to run from responsibility. It's the reason why people don't take him seriously on many different levels. Okay, but he's always said that he thought the movie could have been better if they let him shoot things that he wanted to shoot things to fulfill the rest of the story. He felt there was parts missing. They wouldn't give him the money, the permission to shoot. So he thought that because he didn't have a final cut, because he didn't have a final say and many of the things he wanted to do that harmed the movie. I, I don't know if you guys realize that, but the movie cost about thirty eight million dollars to make. And I think it made like thirty five million dollars. I mean, later on, it became a cult classic, and I'm sure he got its money back and more. But this was not a blockbuster. 
This was not something that people were raving left and right about. It critics pretty much savaged it. Uh, a lot of the Dune people, uh, they liked it just because there was nothing else they could compare, but they wasn't always completely happy with it, so there was still some criticism from them. But we really didn't have the internet back in 1984 very much. So, you know, it, it wasn't until the conventions on things that came out that where people were like, ah, oh, wish we had this, wish we did that, da 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 da. I am not interested in siding with David Lynch. I respect him as a, a filmmaker and a director. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not really into the stuff he's done. I'm happy he did, he did Duna, though, and took a chance on it. Because we don't know what would have happened afterwards. Remember, he might have set the whole thing in motion. We don't know if there was no Dune movie, if it was ever going to get done. We don't. You know, so you have to sometimes wonder about something like that, just on a creative basis. You know, it's like those weird time machine type episodes where, you know, if you change something, it could change the future, you know? I think I got that weird feeling that if we could change the, the past and suddenly uh, Dune wasn't made, who the hell knows what we'd have right now? I'm not even be talking about this show, you know, this whole movie and this whole TV series, this whole everything, without that, without that Dune. So for that alone, we 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 need to give it some respect and, and some room. Not that it doesn't have room to criticize, because it does. You know, um, I do agree. To a certain extent, uh, what David Lynch was talking about, mainly because I've read uh, interviews with other actors involved in the movie, and they seem to uh, agree with the director that there are things that were going to be shot, and they just could not get the permission to do so, could not get the money. So he couldn't do it, and they confirmed that. So that some of that is true. Whether all of it's true, I don't really know, because I didn't get a chance to see the entire film, and neither did anybody else. But everything that would have been the Lynch vision to, to know, yeah, he nailed it or not. So I don't know. For all we know, and, and I'm not trying to put him down, but for all we know, you know, his vision might have been just as crappy as the one we have now in 1984. We don't know. We really don't. But I thought under the circumstances, you know, both his hard work and his intention, and, and even to a certain part, his, his, his script, which I still have issues with. Uh, is really a, a, a good first first shot at this. It really is. And I just, I don't want to give it any more than that. You know, I'm a writer, and I understand that oftentimes you cannot go with the first draft on anything. You can't, because it doesn't allow you to reflect. It doesn't allow you to, to make adjustments. It doesn't allow you to have a broader vision, because it was all just in that first draft. In many ways, on a bigger creative level, I like to look at the Dune movie from 1984 as like a first draft for for the Dune universe and going forward. I, that's how I like to. I look at it more as a writer than anything else. Now, let's move on to the uh, the cable network series, okay? <laughs> the, I don't know if, if it was done by shoestring communications or budget budget productions. I don't know, but they obviously had some budget issues because some of the special effects. Uh, uh, on that thing was was horrible. I mean, horrendous. I've seen people on YouTube with their own little special effects that were better than the damn network series. How the hell is that possible? I don't know. But here's the incredible irony. As I'm laughing at these stupid worms, because they look horrible, by the way, and I'm laughing at people with eyes so damn blue that my head starts hurting. This is one of the first shows I ever watched. I had to take Advil with it and some Kool-Aid. Because it's like, you got to be kidding me. My head's killing me over here. 
Stop looking at me, blue-eyed weirdo. You know? Come on. But through all the laughter and irony of saying that, <laughs> this script was far more accurate than the Dune movie. Okay? One of the big and I, I don't know if you want to call this a spoiler or not, but we're going to talk about something in the book and something in, in the network series that wasn't in Dune. And I don't even know if it's going to be in this Dune, okay? I don't know. Well, we won't know until we until we see both movies to know, all right? And if you haven't read the book, I'm sorry, because, you know, it was in 1965 when it came out, and it's 2021. So you can't get mad at me. Uh, you, you've had a long time to check it out, okay? But... There is an important scene in the book, I feel it's important, and it was an important scene that they decide to shoot and include in a network series that if you haven't read the book before and you just relying on the Dune 1984 movie, you'd be sitting back going, what the hell was that? Where the hell did that come from? you got to be kidding me. Now, the casting, I didn't really care for. I, I thought that the you know, the Paul character in, in, that, in that network series was, was kind of corny, kind of like they're making him to be too much of some kind of a male model. Half the times he seemed way too moody. I don't know. It just, it's just it seemed like some kind of a brat. Okay. But the weirder thing is Mother Jessica, I swear to God, I didn't even know that was the mother in the network series. He, he could have been dating her. I was like, who the hell's casting somebody that looks like she's pretty close to his age? It looks like they could be boyfriend and girlfriend. It should be mother and daughter. It could be mother and son, like in the movie. It makes it pretty clear that that's an older woman versus Paul. You can see that. You can clearly see that in the casting and in the movie. You can't see that in the network cable series. I swear to God, it looks like she's like one year older than he is. So I don't get that. But back to the scene. You'll see a scene that they finally meet up with Journey. Now, remember in the movie, the 1984 version, okay, he doesn't meet up in Gurney until he's in the middle of a, a, a Fremen attack on, on the Harkonnen in the open desert with worms, and they're shooting out their weirder modules. You know, they use that word in the movie, even though I don't know where the hell they got that from. But nevertheless, they're shooting all of that, and he meets up Gurney because Gurney, you know, got separated from them, and he's still fighting whatever fighting he, he knows to fight because he figures that Paul and his mother's dead anyway. And, and so he's just doing the best he can to fight because that Harkonnens are going to be his enemy regardless. And he meets up with them. And that's all you really see of him other than later on, you know, when he calls the Harkonnen dog and he gives Paul his knife and says, you can, you know, fight him with my knife because, you know, this guy's a dog, you know. That's about it. You don't really see him more other than that. You see him in the beginning of the movie when he's one of his uh, instructors and that, that's that. But in the network series, you see the scene that I feel is important and that really lends some gravity to more of the relationship between the characters because a lot of that relationship was cut to pieces in the movie. Whether that's because uh, the producers stopped uh, David Lynch or maybe he just never had that in his script in the first place. We don't know. We never might know unless he ever says anything. And I don't really think so. I think David Lynch is kind of down on doing it. I don't think he really cares about it anymore, but I'm curious, okay? You probably would be too, all right? So he meets up with Gurney, and Gurney actually asks the in, the uh, the inquisitive question about, uh, oh, really, your mother's still alive too? Okay, I'd love to meet her, you know? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems all natural. It seems all innocent. 
And next thing you know, he's in the tent over there choking the crap out of her, choking her to death. And it shows you, and I really liked it because it's really directly from the book. Anybody else, I'm telling you, other than maybe Duncan, anybody else that would have been choking the crap out of his mother, I mean, he would have murdered them right there on the spot. But literally, Paul's standing back talking to this guy like, uh, can you explain to me uh, why you're choking my mother to death? And uh, you, you, I don't think you have the full information. And Journey, you got to stop this. And he's pretty much telling the guy because he's figuring there's something not right here because Journey is not a bad guy. Journey is loyal. Journey hasn't been crap by anybody. He's not been brainwashed and nothing like that. Nevertheless, he's choking the crap out of his mother. So it really is a hell of a scene. And of course, later on in that scene, you know, he stops choking her. <laughs> Thank you. And 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 tells Paul, you know, um, she gave you guys up. And that's why you were captured and, and all these things are happening. And, you know, that's when he says, no, that we found out that was Dr. Huey that did that. I don't know if it's Huey or Huey. I like to say Huey, though, but nevertheless, he tells him it was a doctor, which he couldn't believe. Because remember, he had that supposed imperial conditioning where he can't be cracked. Yeah, okay. <laughs> got Brad Dourif in a movie, okay? Things are going to get cracked, all right? <laughs> That's just the way it is. And it's the guy that cracked him, all right? So that's a very, very important scene. There's other scenes in that network series. It's obvious they, they, they went through the book again and brought in out a lot of things. I don't know if Lynch would have did that or not. We're just never really going to know. But we do know that he was stopped on certain things. So in terms of the story, I felt that it was far more accurate, far more uh, book-oriented. It's just that other than some of the wonderful costumes they had, they had some really good costumes in that. In many ways, better than the movie. But everything else on the special effects is horrible, okay? I'm serious. Spaceships look like cardboard. Look like somebody was had a black light and behind a, a a poster from Jimi Hendrix's Purple Haze Days or something. I mean, come on. It's just I don't know what was going on with that. But at least they were able to redeem themselves with a really good script that really pulled a lot more. So again, I look at the network series sort of like a second draft. There it definitely went on further than the first movie. Uh, little casting issues here and there. God Almighty. But for the most part, I, I found it a, a really interesting. Children of the Dune, they, it really happens the same way. It, it really good on the storyline, horrible special effects. Again, the casting, uh, I mean, a little bit better than, than, than the, the, the Dune uh, Network show, but not that much more. Okay? Now, speaking of what I was mentioning earlier, there is, there is a division. I, I don't want to call it the war or a battle, but it happens. I was in another Dune group before we helped create the Wielding Way. I swear to God, that's all these people were doing every day long. Five times, 20 times a day. Uh, I, I, I hate Brian or Herbert. I I, I, I love Frank. I, oh, I hate Frank. I love Vern. Oh, I don't blah, blah, blah. That's all it was. And it didn't get anywhere. Because guess what? Both of these sections of Dune have incredible amounts of things to say. And guess what? Whether you like it or not, even whether I like it or not, the prequels have validity. 
They help a lot with the backstory. They did a good job on that, okay? But no, they're not the same kind of books because it's not the same kind of writers. Frank Herbert was special, not just because of all the research he did. Remember, he melded in like Christianity with Judaism and Islam and Buddhism and, and all of that in there, and politics and, and colonialism and space travel and, and ecology. And there's so many elements that he put into Dune. You're not going to see that in these other books because they're not telling that kind of story. That's the first thing. And the second thing is Frank Herbert was the old-fashioned type of writer. He, he was a beautiful poetic writer. A lot of Dune in many ways has just poetry to it, things that you could recite and, 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 and take to heart and believe in, things that let you carry with the story. You don't have that with the prequels. They're straight-ahead science fiction. This is not a slight on that. I'm not making fun of any of that. It's just the truth. That's why people see such a difference. They'll read the Frank Herbert book for a second time, Dune, and then they'll go with a prequel and go, it's just not the same. Okay, it's not supposed to be the same. Uh, Brian Herbert is Brian Herbert. He's not Frank. Yeah, he's his son, but he's not Frank Herbert. Okay? If anything, his, meaning uh, Brian, his research, okay, and his ideas and his writing, it's not coming from some library. It's not coming from some deep research thing. It's not coming from him talking and interviewing other people about ecology, this, that, and whatever that Frank had done. It's actually going through the journals of Frank Herbert and his notes and talking to his wife, who actually had a lot of big part into a lot of this stuff, and even talking to his father to a certain extent while he was still alive. Looking at the interviews over and over again and reading them. This is the kind of research that Brian had to do. So it was a different kind of research. It was like researching his father's books and his father more than researching all the stuff that Frank did. So it's a different method, a different way of going about things. They're different people. So yeah, it's going to be different books. But I read them all and I, I found them very entertaining. Sure, very straight ahead. Science fiction. And once I kind of got used to the the whole notion that, yeah, I'm not going to get Frank's poetry here. Yeah, I'm not going to get, you know, that spirit that I used to rely on when I read the books when I was younger. I'm going to get something different, something updated, something modern, something in many ways uh, sort of the straight ahead. Didn't have a whole lot of turns and angles and, and grays and this and that. And some cases didn't even have a lot of politics. And those prequels are really more about just the the evilness of technology and how it, it could become soulless and dangerous and you know beyond beyond human capacity. If we thought humans were evil, well, get get some machines involved and you'll really see what evil is. <laughs> and and that's what happened in a lot of those books for for quite some time. So they were be able to get a handle on it. So yeah, there's a difference. And because of this, folks, I don't really see why there needs to be some kind of battle. Okay? And now when I say that, I'm not talking about we're all going to go to the forest and warm up some hot dogs and kumbaya our way into conforming our minds to everybody has to agree or we can't have peace. That's not freedom. Okay, folks? You believe in freedom. Well, guess what? Freedom means that you have to be able to freely think for yourself. It means that you're going to disagree and you're going to live with that. I just tell people all day long as a writer, 
Okay, freedom doesn't mean some Disneyland morality. Okay, it doesn't mean we're all gonna love each other. It doesn't mean we're all gonna agree with each other. Guess what? We're not all gonna like each other, but that's what freedom is. But freedom also has the responsibility that you're not gonna go over to your neighbor who you don't like and stab him to death. Okay, you're gonna have the responsibility to stay in your house and say, I think my neighbor is a big dork. I don't like the way he cuts his lawn. I don't like the way that he has, he lets his dog poop on his own lawn, and that's disgusting for people who look in our neighborhood. I don't like this. I don't like that. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine. That's what freedom is. Don't have to like. Don't have to love. Don't have to agree. It's okay to disagree. So we do in weird and way a lot, and I'm all right with that. It's just you don't have to be disagreeable. And therefore, I'm not really calling for some truce. Between the two sides. I don't even care if there's peace or not between the two sides. Again, freedom. We don't even need peace. All you need to be able to just to understand is that whether you like it, you need each other. The prequels need Dune, and Dune, in many instances now, really need the prequels. Some people won't want to agree with that, and that's fine. You don't have to. But I say that they do. Because you're going to get a lot into that story onto the other books. And you're going to start getting a little bit miserable. You're going to get a little bit frustrated. You're going to almost expect some Star Trek experiences. But I'm sorry, folks. Dune isn't a positive story. Dune is more realistic story about us going into space and just being the jerks we were when we're on Earth. That's it. We just cover it all up with uh, spice and big space worms and uh, corny uh, ships. And, and the usual same stupid wars that we've been fighting for about 10,000 years. There is nothing, in case you realize this, there's nothing special about the wars or the battles or the politics in Dune. We've had this before. We have it now. We're going to have it again. Nothing original about that. There really isn't. Okay? Remember, we've had a Hitler that tried to make a master race. So the Bene Gesserit, they're just trying to do it through religion, but they're doing it the same way. Genetic manipulation, uh, lies and thievery and sneakery and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, that's really who they are. They're, 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 they're pretty much Nazi nuns. <laughs> that's who they are. So we've had that already, okay? Just as much as we've had people that believe themselves to be the Messiah. We've had that. We've had a number of those. Nothing new there, really, okay? We've had space travel. We'll have more space travel right now. You know, the, the space travel is kind of grim because they're saying we're going to go to Mars, but you're probably going to die when you get there. Lovely. But one day, I'm sure we'll be able to, to have a, a base there on a colony. And from there, that's where we'll be able to go into the stars. Of course, of course, like Frank Herbert predicts, we're not going to go into the stars, you know, as, as better evolved people. We're going to be the same jerks we are now, just with nice nifty uniforms and you know, cool slogans as we're lying to ourselves and, and going into the cosmos, spreading our, our unfortunate stupidity. I, I wish it could be something better and different. That's why, in many instances, Star Trek is so damn appealing to so many people. It has a real positive message. But it could only have that message if it, if it, if it solved things on Earth, and that's what it did. Gene, Rod Gene Roddenberry understood that from the get-go. It's like Herbert understood it from the get-go. I'm not going in that direction. I'm going to go in the other direction. I'm going to go in the direction I think is more realistic to happen. It's sort of like thinking of the utopias 
1984 versus Brave New World, okay? If you think about it, the 1984 is the negative utopia. You can't steal people's freedom unless you constantly keep them off track by video cameras in their houses, by any one of their thoughts being something that you don't like, and by constantly having wars between the various continents to keep distracting people, keeping them on rations, and constantly keep them in, in war and, and being surveilled. This way you can control people. That's that was that what that was that whole totalitarian society on the negative side. Where you can have a brave new world, well hey, that was the positive one. Everybody's on drugs. People don't really have free will because they get born into a job, because they're genetically made into a capsule, come out, he's a plumber. That one is the aerospace technician. This one is the farmer, blah, blah, blah. That's how they did things. And then you never realize, because you can have all the free sex you want and all the drugs you want, that you're actually a slave in a society. You're not free. It was just a way to control you. That was the positive side of a utopia. Again, two authors, uh, George Orwell and, and, and Alex Huxley, again, looking at humanity and not seeing anything really positive in the future. One saw a, a future where it was going to be controlled by the state in many instances, in Brave New World, it might not, not have been the state. It could be a, the state combined with a, with a corporation that helped do this, or a combination of things. Something similar we might be going through right now here in America. But again, it's probably more likely that's going to happen than the Brave New World one. You know, it happened similar in the 1984 one in, in, in Soviet Russia and, of course, North Korea, but they never really perfected it. And I don't think they're ever going to be able to. It's, it's far more difficult than, than it's put on paper. But the concept is the same. Uh, constant surveillance, constant distraction. That's how you control people. So Dune has now also went into um, comics. I know I have a friend over there that was checking them out. I talked with somebody else on the internet that he really liked it. Uh, they felt that, again, it kind of went a little bit farther into the storyline, but not too much farther, because remember, with comics, you have to also, you know, create more art cells with that, and that makes more pages, and then you have to worry about how you're making a profit on this, and how many pages it should be, how many, you know, episodes it can be, or issues, if they, what they want to call those. I don't know how many they're going to be. I don't know if it gets consolidated into just a different, you know, a chopped up version of Dune. It's one of the real problems that Dune faces, and why people even me to a certain extent, are going to be skeptical about the Dune we're about to have here in October. We've seen some clips. That lovely uh, Anastasia Brown over there from England, she put together a bunch of stuff along with uh, you know titles and, and just giving you direction, and it was very, very helpful, and, and thank you very much for doing that. What a, what a great gal. And so it gives you some notions of where this story could be going, what they're trying to do. I see some real positive things there, you know, but of course I was never happy with, you know, uh, changing the, the uh, to, to, to a woman. And, and, and somebody pointed out in the book that, you know, it, it could still be a woman under the circumstances. And maybe I'm just being hung up on the other movie because, you know, it had the, the, the Swedish actor who did a tremendous great job on it, but the role there was very limited. I'm told from people who had a sneak preview, they made this role limited too. So again, if you're going to change some gender thing and you're going to change the storyline possibly a little bit, 
why don't you expand it a little bit more then? It looks like they finally expanded the Duncan role, thank God, because Duncan is my favorite character, really. But they didn't do that with Leia at all, which, again, screams just symbolism. I mean, what is she there for? Just because she's a, an African-American actress? You make yourself all look good, like, you know, see, we're not racist in this thing. We got somebody here who's on for five seconds. I mean, because that's the equivalent of it. So isn't that in itself kind of racist? That's what I wonder. Again, I'm not trying to stir controversies over here. I'm just speaking from my heart. If you're going to make that kind of move, why don't you give her a bigger role then? I wouldn't mind seeing more things happen with that character because very little happened with it when, when, when it was in the first movie. And even, even, the, even the, the network series only had so much happen. There's more that could be going on there. I don't really think they chose to do it from what I was uh, uh, hearing uh, from people who, who got the sneak preview. So uh, if those people are accurate, you know, we're going to have a really short role with a, with, a, a, with a pretty woman in a nice outfit who's not going to be there very long. And then later on, we're not even going to care. So, I mean, right now she looks great on the poster. That might not. That might be all it was supposed to be for. I know that sounds grim. I know that doesn't make some people happy, especially everybody else that wants to pretend they're woke or correct or whatever you want to call that. But I can tell you right now, I, I expect real to be real. I don't expect it to be some phony stuff. If you want to do something like that for reasons other than art, then you know why don't you make it at least a little bit more tangible? Why don't you make it a little bit more deeper? Why don't you make it something that at least I can hang my hat on? Because right now, from what I'm hearing, we're just getting the same silly treatment in a different fashion, possibly for different motives. To me, I don't really think that helps Boone or anybody else. It probably only helped Hollywood. But I don't know if Hollywood has realized this or not. You know, they've gone the way of journalism and even some of these politicians. People just don't take them that serious anymore. They probably take themselves more serious than most of us do. So don't know what you're trying to cover up or what you're trying to shove in somebody's faces or, or what you're trying to do just because you're so fond of symbolism. But, you know, you're Hollywood. How about stop being symbolic and just do something real? That would be nice. So I'm glad they did something more at least real with the Duncan role. I mean, a, a little skeptical of having Aquaman running around, but, you know, I've seen a couple of scenes. It looks looks pretty cool. And if they have an expanded role, I, I can see I can see where this can go. You know, but um, we know from that role that that guy could be a skinny stealth um, intellectual soldier like like it was in the first movie, or it could be some big muscular kind of like almost ranger kind of guy, like what they have with uh, you know Jason Momoa, and 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 still possibly pull it off. So. I didn't really find that to, to be too much out of it, you know, even though I like making Aquaman jokes just because, you know, it's kind of funny. It really is. Uh, you keep looking at him and going, Aquaman, what the hell this is doing here? Remember, this is the planet with no water, so to speak. <laughs> but I like that. Um, I'm, and other people are too, although I've read a lot in um, the reading wagon and some of the other groups that they really felt that, um, this, uh, this Oscar Isaac is going to be able to pull it off because um, he's done some much more dramatic roles than some of the cheesy stuff he did in Star Wars, which I'm just not really impressed with. You know, I've seen him a little bit here, some of the scenes they showed him, but right now it still looks like a young guy under a bunch of beards, okay? 
You know, it, it's like the you know the Santa Claus without putting a pillow in, in, you know in in the red suit. So uh, um, it's yet to be seen how well he's going to do in this. And yeah, I, I got no choice to be hung up really on uh, Jurgen Procknell's role in, in 1984 because he looked the age, the beard was real. Okay, no one glued that on with some crazy glue in, in ten minutes ago. All right, and even the accent made him so so serious and so uh, wise sounding. You know, so this one I'm I'm not really too sure about. I really not. You know, and uh, keep in mind that the other roles, like uh, you know, having uh, Josh Brolin and everything like that, that, that might be a possibility. It's different, but. Yeah, I, I think it could definitely be pulled off. So I'm not too skeptical about that. I'm really not. But I, we'll, we'll see what happens with, with Oscar and this and what he can really do. I agree with the people who mentioned that he has the dramatic chops from some other movies. I wound up just kind of checking them out. See? Well, turns out that's true. Okay. So I don't want to just keep him uh, in, in Star Wars and bash him. So that would be unfair. But I can't help but think that he should be looking older. And I don't see how throwing a beard on him and messing with his voice a little bit is supposed to do this. So I don't know if he gets older later on from the stress, you know, like the president's do after a couple of years, <laughs> or if this is how he's going to be and we just have to live and, and, and learn to accept the role. Don't know. But uh, I, I would prefer somebody a little bit older. And remember, that's all we really have is the role from 1984 because William Hurt, who played him in the cable series, was atrocious, okay? I mean, I, I would have thrown him out of the show and said, don't act anymore until you come back and actually seem like you care. I mean, I swear he seemed like he phoned the lines in or something, you know? You should hear him telling those Fremen to get the hell out off the... Well, I don't think they're Fremen. They're actually uh, members of the Atreides uh, family, the workers. But, you know, to get the hell out of the... the uh, you know, the planet because the worm's going to come to eat them. And he doesn't have a sense of urgency. He sounds like he's reading it from the script. He don't even sound like he gives a damn. Uh, he's not like with the other guy. Run, run. You know, he's screaming and doing all that. What's this guy doing? Come on now. Huh? This is an altered state there, Mr. Hurt. Come on. Wake the hell up. Don't ruin it for us because, you know, you don't like the role and they probably didn't give you a whole lot of money for it. Okay. I guarantee you, you wasn't going to get uh, thin over the money they gave you. So let's let's be serious here. So sometimes the casting really was crappy. And again, although, looking at the casting of the Moo movie, it does look to me like they're trying to do their best to fill these roles and interesting people that can draw in, you know, and to get fill those seats and, and et cetera. And I got that. I know that's part of what they have to do. Whether I like it or not is a consequential. They have to do that. It's not just about the art, but it's also about the business. You know, you got people investing money in this thing, okay? So they, they have to. And they got a sequel going to be coming out afterwards. Or if you don't want to call the sequel, maybe just the second part of it, but still, that has to come. So they, they got to do everything they can, you know? I've never been, to this day, I've never been happy with anybody, okay? That played Paul's love interest at all. Never. I didn't like Sean Young at all. I thought she was kind of boring. You know? I, I liked her better in Blade Runner. Uh, I, I didn't like the, the, the girl over in the Cable series. Again, about to fall asleep. Whatever. 
Not to mention her hair looks so damn good, and you're supposed to be in a desert environment. Are you kidding me? At least Sean Young would put it up enough and tighten it like you should do in a desert, so you can't tell how nice her hair is. But that one over there in the network series? You gotta be kidding me. Huh? What would they stop every five minutes so she can fix her hair again? Put some spray in it? Keep it from like moving? Come on now. That's a little ridiculous. And then this girl they have right now. I agree with people who say, yeah, just the way she looks. An exotic look and even her, her, her skin tone color would be more of a of a desert person, uh, especially since the book describes people that way. So, yeah, I, I agree that that fits that very well. Whether she has the acting chops to pull this off or not, I don't really know. You know, I've seen a couple things she did, uh, some Disney stuff she did. It's a, it's a, it's a toss-up, so I can't even tell you. I really can't. So I do know that. They definitely were trying to cast the correct person, and uh, maybe maybe she fits the bill. We'll, we'll see. Right now, superficially, I say that that, that that seems to be the case. I don't know more about what's going to happen with the role, you know. So we'll, we'll see, you know, because it's not an easy role. If you think about it, if they let the story play out, and you think about her role, it's a rough role. Okay, uh, let me get this straight here. Uh, I used to be a, a a girl that had a lot of respect and freedom. And now I got to pretty much be a hungry guy that's going to possibly be the super savior of the universe. But um, he's going to later on have to cast me aside because he's going to have to marry somebody else to political alliance to build up another empire. So uh, in the end, I'm really just his mistress. And this is what I'm giving all this up for. I could be married to somebody and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's, it, if you think about the storyline for her, that's pretty rough. It's pretty messed up. And... I don't know if you've got to really, really love somebody to have to live through that, or it's just like, you know, the hell with it. I'm just go for the ride, because I don't know what the hell she's thinking. <laughs> I really, I mean, it's just amazing. So it's incredible how they did that in the story. Let's, let's see how much that's going to play out, you know, in, in this um, in this new movie that's coming up. But I'm definitely uh, curious to see that. I, I really am. I do. I do like a lot of the special effects and a lot of the, the the scenery they put a lot of into that no no doubt about it i didn't think it was all that bad in in the 1984 movie but don't get me wrong it could have been improved but it wasn't bad the worms didn't look that horrible you know and and everything else i thought for the most part was was pretty decent i mean i mean yes the spaceships that look kind of cornier though i thought one looked like a, a twinkie with with a gold bar around it or something but you know maybe they'll have something that looks a whole lot better with this kind of digital technology and the things that we can do now you know versus even you know 30 something years ago or a low budget i mean literally low budget cable uh show yeah uh, we, we should definitely be looking at something like that uh the way and, and there should be comment on this. The way they have marketed the movie here, at least to me, is encouraging that they're trying to make this thing work, that they're trying to make some money. Believe it or not, there's the more money they make, the more there's a chance that the second one's going to launch well. Who knows? Maybe other things could happen. But at least it's going to be something respectful because it's still a business, folks. That's why they call it show business, okay? They don't call it art business. They don't call it doing business, okay? Show business, because you need to show them the money, because this is some business here, all right? That's the truth of it all. So, yeah, I, I, I've never seen any any incarnation of Dune on any level do what they've done. Individual characters still putting it out there, 
various uh, clips more than they do normally. Uh, the, the, these posters, which are a piece of art themselves. I mean, I just like to snatch it off the damn screen and put it in my room. And I don't even know if the movie's going to be any good or not. I just love the poster. It, it, I love the color in the background, that whole whole like lime green thing. I mean, it, it's, it's awesome. I really do. I just love it. So they've done a really good job about that. And for the most part, I don't really see anybody in the in the in the movie here that's going to be lame in terms of the acting chops. I didn't mention, you know, um, Johnny though because I'm not too sure about her. But hey, we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, it's not like she's new, so at least she does have some acting experience, and, and everybody else has a, a, a great amount of it. So you know, they all they all do, no doubt about it. So it's going to definitely be interesting just from that standpoint because you have a lot of people over there doing doing things that they've never done before in movies. There's no doubt about it. They all, they're all carrying a, a gigantic book. And many people, including myself, uh, have rated Dune as being the number one science fiction novel saga ever. There's simply nothing beyond it. I've always believed that. And I, and I always I always will. I don't think anything's going to top that. And I think the reason why is because even though we're calling it science fiction because it's set in space, it's set on spaceships that run around to the planets and got some weird giant worms running around, maybe have some mystical powers, maybe they're going to eat you tomorrow. Um, it's still at its heart about the human condition. It's still mostly a human saga about us continuing to struggle as human beings instead of united hating each other warring against each other scheming against each other trying to take this and monopolize that and manipulate this remember like i said other than the hired help gurney and you know halleck and uh duncan nobody really is that noble or or or, or that pure the all have issues, they all have agendas, they all have programs and plans that they have to put into place. And if you remember, or if you haven't remembered, maybe this will help you. Because they mentioned it in the first movie, and hopefully they'll mention it in this movie. But it wasn't like the Duke walked into this thing blindly. I can't wait to take the spice over. I can't wait to kick out the Harkonnens. Blah, 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 blah. No. He was already warned by everybody. His spies, his intelligence people like Duncan, his own son with his kind of ESP knowledge of things. Um, they all told him, you know the Empire is behind us, right? You know this is a trap, right? You, you know you're likely to get screwed, right? He already heard all of this four and five and six and ten times. He's walking into the trap. Believing his new weapons are going to win the day, that his loyal troops are going to be able to make this happen, that maybe possibly the Fremen can be some kind of ally in, in the end, that maybe, and I don't know, you have to guess this for yourself, because I honestly don't know if it's arrogance or if it's confidence or if he's just a, a dude that wants to risk stuff, but I don't know if he's simply trying to call you know, the Emperor's bluff. Oh, screw you. 
I'll take over in the Landsat one day, and I'll become emperor. And even with this stupid trap you have, I'll overcome this, and that'll be it for you. Because you never know. In many ways, that could be the end game for Leto. That might be what he was thinking all along. I'll go through this trap. I'll break this trap. I'll win. And then once I control all of the spice, and once I control people's opinion, and once I, I show people what can get done over here, they're going to see you as a big jerk, and that'll be it for you. And I'll remove you, and then maybe I'll be the one in charge. So you wonder if that's maybe the end game for him. Because you don't go into a trap after everybody's telling you that unless you're incredibly blind. And I tell you, Lito is a lot of things, but he's definitely not blind, okay? And you don't go into something like this unless you have your your own plan and your own agenda. So they, everybody had, to a certain extent, what they were trying to do. They all did. So, again, not a lot of nobility in the royal family there, okay? Not a whole lot of <laughs> ethics or a whole lot of morality, a whole lot of anything. I mean, it's, it's really, in many instances, uh, a business on a military scale to try to win more power in the end, or maybe in a certain extent to protect him from the various attacks that he feels are going to come down the line. I think the book uh, alludes to, I know it does in the prequel, but I think the book Dune alludes to, or I, I'm not really sure if it's Dune or the second book that alludes to the fact that the uh, the emperor had, had sent in uh, like terrorist uh, sleeper agents onto the, onto the planet of Catalan to, to mess with the duke do bad things just to kind of piss him off never that he could take him over and take the planet over just enough to kind of get him upset and, and mess with him you know let him know i'm still around you know that kind of thing so he kind of always knew that the emperor was behind this trying to trying to make this happen and that's what really makes uh, the entire tale to be so amazing and, and maybe in many ways so enduring because it's more than just science fiction it's like peeking into our future and into our past simultaneously. It's like learning the lessons of history and then lamenting later on that, oh, damn, we went into space and we still never learned anything. No, that's pretty much what Herbert is trying to tell us in this whole saga. Uh, we're a bunch of dummies. We don't learn from history. We just keep moving on, making the same mistakes. We're just doing with different uniforms and different names on different planets and different spaceships with different schemes, all doing in the end the same thing. Can I knock them off the ledge? Can I make this happen over here? I don't need marriage. I'll have a concubine. I'll have a mistress. I don't need this. I don't need that. Da 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 da. You know, remember, Jessica wasn't supposed to give him a son. In fact, she's supposed to be his mistress and bound to the Bene Jesuit, not bound to the Atreides family. But she fell in love with him. And that right there said, oh, forget this, but we're going to do the sun now. There you go. She just threw out that whole plan. We didn't go so angry at her. You know, she said that you're my greatest student and my greatest failure at the same time. Uh, really, thanks, lady with no hair. I appreciate that. I got beautiful hair here, and you're telling me this, and you look like a cue ball and, and Count Dracula's grandmother at the same time. Okay, right. But nevertheless, it just shows you again the agenda which was pretty pretty damn dark. It really is. And as the books go on, it doesn't get any better. I'm sorry to say. Now, the best way to end the show is to remind everyone that we do have on Facebook, 
myself and a couple of other uh, admin, a bunch of wonderful people that, that came on board. Um, we have the Weirding Way. It's a, a Dune discussion group. So you can join that. If you listen to the show, come check us out. See what you think. If you don't like it, you can leave then. I mean, if you do, stay. I mean, it's just that simple. But the important thing is you'll hear intelligent conversation. you hear people debating without trying to kill themselves. You'll see people bring all this interesting minutia and marginalia and, and all these things that folks didn't even know was out there. One guy brought in um, one of the, uh, the uh, I think it was a, either a VHS or maybe it was already converted over to DVD, where we had fans actually make alterations to the movie and then put that out. So you can have different things happen in Dune. I've seen one of them. It's fun. It was interesting. I liked it. Not something that's official, but hey, it's still it's still pretty darn clever. You got the new comic books that, that have come out. Um, there are supposed to be some uh, Dune action figures. I, I, I've seen the other ones that someone showed me on the Facebook today, and oh, I'm not too happy with those. Each one of them looked kind of kind of weird and. You know, more toyish than than they are, more accurate to the book and to the characters. But hey, you know, it does show at least that everybody's out there trying to gear up to make this thing happen. You know, I, I'm waiting for the McDonald's to come out with the Dune, you know, uh, McDonald um, kid meal, and then you have the Dune things. You know, I remember when Burger King did that when when Lord of the Rings came out, and I'm like, wow, these are actually kind of cool. And I'm an adult saying that, so. I don't know. If they do it, I hope they're kind of cool. I hope they don't get too corny about that. But we're going to continue to have, I'm sure, emails and questions about the subject of Dune and 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 Frank Herbert on on the Facebook and, and just maybe privately or individually amongst everything that's out there. I, I tried to cover a lot about the things I found fascinating and my, of course, own spin to it. It's going to be different than yours, I'm sure. You might have learned something new here, or you might have just say, you know, I'm glad you made the show, but I'm not into anything you said. It happens, too. You, you can't please anybody. That's never going to be the goal. It's the reason why I call it things on all dudes' things, because you, 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 you can't do something in an hour and 15 minutes or so and, you know, and cover everything. You know, it's just not really possible. Uh, I do uh, eventually we'll probably do a show on Frank Herbert himself. We learn a little bit more about his background, some of the things he was thinking about. We, we know a few already, but, you know, it'd be more interesting to do that because you couldn't really do that in this show. It just makes it way too long. So I definitely want to do that as the author, you know, looking into, into an author. And, of course, I might eventually do something about the prequels. But I'm not going to just pick one book out. I'll just do a whole bunch of them together. But we talked a little bit about those, and at least we kind of covered that for the people that do admire that. I've always been, and I'm always going to be, somebody that liked those books, but I don't love those books. I respect those books. I know that they have some validity to them. I like the backstory. I'm thankful that they did that. but. Uh, from the moment I read Dune in 1975 to now, when I reread it a few months ago, uh, it's still in my heart, and that's where that's going to remain. The the prequels are not. Uh, I, I read them once; they're here, and that's it. Um, I don't really need to read them again. I don't. That's not a put down. That's just where my feelings are at. I'm I'm more drawn to the poetry, and I'm more drawn to to the research, and I'm more drawn to the just the human elements of it all. Uh, the the prequels are, are, are very much mechanical, but they're supposed to be. 
All right. So hopefully that helps you folks over there on that end of things. And hopefully you'll be able to see a lot more in Dune over here. Whether they're ever going to do movies about anything regarding the prequel, I don't know. Maybe it just depends on how successful these things are. I've always felt it, though, again, without putting anything down, that maybe a treatment on, on a cable movie would be better for one of those. I think the Machine Crusade would probably be a great, you know, like TNT special, <laughs> you know, two and a half hour show or something like that. And then you kind of go from there. You know, I, I just think that would be better. But because it's easier to make than having to go through all the hassle and harm right now of making the movie, especially in the, making it in the days of the pandemic and days of theaters nearly dying and everybody's practically looking this and streaming with a mask on practically. Um, which is uh, really ironic. We're watching a bunch of guys running around the desert mask and we have masks on when I watch it in the theater probably. So, you know, how, how doomed can we be when, when we're looking at this sort of movie? <laughs> I don't know. All right, folks, I, I really appreciate the support for all that we've done with Strength to be Human. And, of course, uh, now with uh, with MindSpeak, it's definitely been exciting to talk about this subject. That's why I wanted to create this other show within the show, because I wanted to go further. I wanted to talk about many other things, not just writing. And I love writing, love writers, but I wanted to talk further about that. And that's what we're able to really do on a show like this. Hopefully a lot of people that are listening to this, especially those from the Weird and Way, will have some useful comments or some kind of take on what I tried to do over here. I, I mean, if you feel that you could do better, I think that's great. I'd love to hear what you have to do. Go put it on a podcast or something like that or YouTube, whatever, and I'll listen to it. I listen to everybody's stuff, especially when it regards to, to Dune. Whether I like it or agree with it or not, doesn't really matter. I still like to hear it. I like to know what other people are thinking. So, I'd like to hear from you, and i certainly like to hear anything you might have produced yourself, because I am not the final arbitrator. This is not the final word on Dune, and I don't even know if I want to call myself an expert on Dune. I mean, I'm probably older than a lot of people that know going to this movie, I can tell you that. And I probably read it a whole lot earlier than most people have. But nevertheless, uh, as much as I've had a lifetime fascination with it, you, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to be new that they might have an angle I never saw before. And that's why we want to get together more rather than fight amongst each other, because we can actually educate ourselves. We can actually make ourselves better as uh, lovers of Dune and maybe even as people to a certain extent, because we learn from each other instead of learn to hate from each other. So let's try to do that more. And maybe we can uh, we can show other folks out there that that is a possibility that something wonderful can come out of something that, in many ways, is, is quite a dark, and, and in some cases, not as hopeful as you'd like it to be. I still like to think that maybe as humans we can we can overcome this. I don't know if that's wishful thinking, or if that's me being in denial, or if that's just me, you know, taking doom with a grain of salt, but. I know one thing for sure is uh, Herbert was right about a lot of things about people and about the human condition. So uh, who knows what more he could be right about us and how much more we might have to try to find ourselves and fix ourselves if we don't want to actually end up like one of these characters in that book one day. All right, folks, God bless. Until uh, next time, thank you very much for joining me. That is... Um, all about Doom. That's uh, things uh, all about Doom. Okay. And also uh, Mind Speak over here. Okay. Episode 215. Take care, folks. And thank you very much.
Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.